1: Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Berry. And, Brett, we had planned to make this our big basketball preview episode. Men's and women's hoops because we're excited for those seasons. And we're still going to do that. We have some awesome guests lined up for that. But I, I feel like the big story is... The losing streak is over. Arizona won a football game 10-3. The most beautiful 10-3 football game I've ever seen in my life over Cal.
2: <sighs> the, the ugliest, most beautiful, miserable win I've ever seen in my life. Like There's
1: no miserable win when you've lost 20 straight, when it's been over two calendar years. right? There's no such thing. Hey, win it, Winning streak started last Saturday, Adam. <laughs> yeah, and It probably ends this next Saturday against Utah. But... We don't need to worry about that. That's that's for future Wildcat Radio 2.0 problems, right? Is the Utah game? Arizona beat Cal, and when we talked last week. We didn't know what Cal team would show up if Cal would show up because they had their reported COVID issues, and it turned out they were missing two dozen people, coaches and players, missing a chunk of their offensive line. Starting quarterback Chase Garbers did not play. Um, it was not it was not a healthy Cal team. It was also not a healthy Arizona team. <laughs> so you know, just right right out of the gate, there's a lot of people saying putting in asterisks with this. That's dumb. Because even with all the issues Cal had, the Vegas line was still like seven to nine points. So that was even with that, and they had to know Garbers wasn't going to play. Vegas knows everything. So I to kind of retcon it and go, well, you know, we think Cal's nine points better than Arizona even without all these guys. Then Arizona would say, oh well, Arizona only won because they were missing those guys. Screw that. That's not cool. Because no, Arizona won that game. Two teams that were, I, barely probably Pac-12 level. By the time they took the field, they played each other and Arizona came out on top.
2: Yeah, I uh, I appreciate you saying that, Adam, because I've, I've heard a lot of those takes and, like, Cal's... Oh, it's really... Un- it's bad luck with, like, COVID. It's like... Oh, it is. Okay. It is it bad is, luck. Sure, but, you know, at one point in that game, I'm pretty sure Arizona had their starting, their backup, and their third-string center playing at left tackle, left guard, and center, respectively. Mm-hmm. And their fourth string quarter they were starting their third string quarterback and their fourth string quarterback is essentially a wide receiver and their fifth string quarterback is a walk-on and sure, Chase.
1: quarterback rating is now not great in college
2: correct um, <laughs> poor and, guy and you know people are saying garbers missed the game garbers isn't exactly a world beater and they played you know brian glover did not look great but that how much of that was also the line people missing in arizona's defense played extremely well but also don't cry for me, Cal fans. You guys have a four-star, uh, top three hundred quarterback recruit that you could have played in that game. How much would Arizona fans kill to have a top three hundred national quarterback recruit sitting in the wings right now? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I, I, it, it's some you know some of it is just the, the nature of how things play out, but you know, if, if if nothing else, Arizona's defense showed up and did what you would hope they would do against a depleted Cal offense and they just dominated them. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, if it wasn't for more, you know, stop calling screen passes, Jed fish They're they're, they're getting tipped and picked far too often. (laughs) Um, you know, I think Arizona, Arizona had, you know, 331 total yards to Cal's 122, 122 yards. I don't care how bad a team is. That's a incredible defensive performance it was um and it's not to say that arizona's offense was was world beaters it was not they they essentially dominated the game in everything except for score right um and arizona had that's because they had three interceptions thrown well yeah
1: well that that's just it like arizona comes out their first drive they're They're basically in the red zone, going to come away with three points at worst. And then Will Plummer passes, tipped at the line and intercepted. Bad break, right? I I was trying to see where that ball was going. And I'm not going to say it looked like it was going to an open receiver. But regardless, not every batted ball gets intercepted. Most don't. That one did. Then Arizona gets their stop, goes down again. And they're driving, moving the ball in scoring territory. And Will Plummer gets hurt, leaves the game. Luke Ashworth comes in throws another tip ball interception on the screen pass. And to your point, yeah, has any team ever had this many, like every single quarterback that's played has had a screen pass intercepted, it feels like, which is supposed to be a safe pass for that, but only Arizona. But that's more points that were left, you know, taken off the board for them because of a fluky-ish turnover. And also if Will Plummer doesn't get hurt there and leave the game, who knows? And then later in the game, too, Arizona got their first field goal on a drive where Will Plummer cut his hand open. So there were so many things where it's like they were the better team on that day. Absolutely. And you could argue that Cal, if they have all their players, they're the better team. And you're probably right. But on that day, Arizona was clearly the better team. They moved the ball way better than Cal did. They just weren't scoring. And you you look at it and it's. It's easy to point to, and I think why people give Arizona crap for the COVID stuff, is, there's still a lot of this sense that COVID's not real, right? It's not a broken leg. It's not a torn-up knee. So it's like, oh, they could have played, and they probably could have, based on what we've heard from Cal. Like, that's really unfortunate how that happened, but that's the reality of this season. Like, whether you're out with COVID or you're out with whatever ailment you want to choose for Arizona, that's just the reality, and you can't play. So you line up with what you have, and had Cal won, no one would have said, well, they beat a depleted Arizona team. So Arizona did what they were needed to do. And how many times like they didn't do what they needed to do against NAU? Like that was a team that they were had more talent than and they didn't get it done. So you could argue all you want that Arizona isn't like this doesn't mean that the Jet Fish era has turned around and everything's gonna be great from here on out. Like it's gonna be the last they're underdogs by like twenty five points to Utah. No one's looking at this and saying, Oh, Arizona's figured it out. But if you look at it as the continuation of what we have seen in recent weeks really you know they were competitive against USC they should have beat Washington they were right there against uh, Colorado until just the calamities and Gunnar Cruz got hurt and they should have probably could have beat UCLA if Jordan McLeod doesn't get hurt this team has been playing better and in this case they found an opponent who was in rough shape sure just like Arizona has been for most of the season and they were the better team so there's no reason to apologize for. It. There's no reason to feel bad about it, and if you're Arizona, you should probably feel pretty damn good because they had the turnovers, in Arizona. Like they lost the turnover battle in this game, three nothing, yep. and they won, and because their defense was so much better than Cal's garbage offense on Saturday.
2: Well, they they had they lost the turnover battle three to zero. Granted, one of those. Turnovers. It was like an arm punt. It was. I mean, I was at the game, and everybody was like, "Oh." that's just, they're just doing that as a, maybe you get a, you know, a a pass interference or a great play or worst case scenario. It's essentially as good as a punt. Yeah. Um, But, you know, not only did they lose the turnover battle three, zero to tell you how dominant they were, they still won the time of possession by, uh, you know, rounding 35 minutes to 24 to 24. Well,
1: Arizona was moving the ball. Cal couldn't move the ball. And even (laughs) And this is just one of the most Arizona things ever. Like, Austin Dorp late in the fourth quarter, pins them down at, like, their two-yard line. Great punt. Barry Hill made a great play. Like, okay, Arizona's defensive line has been fantastic. Watch them get a safety. or just something. Right? And they get to a third down or a second. I forget what down it was. Force an incomplete pass. And there's the penalty flag. And the ref got nicked Owens, the strength and conditioning coach. Like, yes, he was not exactly where he should have been, but it's like, nothing really bad happened like that flag probably doesn't get thrown most of the time already but then because he threw it and said it was on Don Brown Don Brown goes ballistic which it's like wouldn't you in that situation like wait I didn't do anything what are you calling that like it's already 15 yards that takes him out gives him a first down away from like half yard line so that is another 15 yards and it would have been easy for Arizona to fold there and instead it's almost like they took that personally and said no and maybe it's because Cal's offense and that quarterback was bad. Really, really bad. He had some receivers in the first half, too, that he just missed on deep balls that were open. But at that point, Arizona could have folded. And it seems like Arizona in weeks past would have. Just found a way to give up a field goal there, give up a touchdown, just something. They'd be like, well, that's that. But in this well, game, Arizona made the mistakes, and they still won.
2: Well, and I was I was at that game, and it was hot and miserable and beautiful to to see the win. Uh, and that, I can tell you in the, that stadium, it was not a, it was a small, but mighty crowd at And when that penalty, that double penalty of 30 yards happened, I think even the it, the fact that it was at home and the fans kind of stiffened their backs up and, and, uh, there was a, there was a, there was a vibe and an energy there that I think then the defense, uh, for Arizona responded to, and they, they, they held again, where instead of, instead of breaking, they they steeled their spine and showed some resolve and you know they they ultimately earned the it earned a game uh how many offensive linemen that game adam had their first ever college snaps leaf magnuson was out there
1: far too many but But and that's just it though
2: yeah, and and these are like young linemen, which is hard. You know, maybe is, is there a harder position to play as like a, a, you know, in your first year or two in college than offensive line by physical maturity and ability to play with a bunch of guys? Um, you know, Josh McCauley was playing left tackle most a large chunk of that game. Our starting center, right? Leif Magnuson had never seen a, a live snap before. Uh, JT Hand was getting a lot of play. Um, you know, it was it was an ugly. Game, but a beautiful victory. Yeah,
1: and obviously, congratulations to Jed Fish and that staff. And if Arizona did not have to win this game, Cal wasn't so. I mean, they were decimated, but so was Arizona. It would have been easy for Arizona to still lose that game. Like it was ugly, but the defense did its job. Cal made, made some mistakes too. It's not turnovers, but they missed some open receivers. Yes, but for the first time in more than two, Arizona did what they needed to do to win the game. And this was like Cal was bound to where Arizona's mistakes didn't cost him. Because Kyle just couldn't move the ball. But Arizona still had to make plays. Arizona still had to move the ball. Will Plummer still had to make some throws, and he did. Like he, Will Plummer, I know I'm not sold on him as being a long-term quarterback or being a quarterback at this level, but wow, how can you not appreciate his effort there and his just willingness to stay in the game like, and to fight through that because he was getting beat up. But also, that team had no chance without him. And he made some throws. The one that Dorian Singer on the game-winning drive was great. Rolled out, kept his eyes down the field, and made it through a dart. Of course, Singer has been playing well. It's just... There is growth, I think, is what we're seeing. That's what it comes down to, is there has been growth. It probably will look like it came to an end this weekend when Arizona plays Utah. We're not going to really talk too much about that game because when you're 25-point underdogs against probably the best team in the conference, it's maybe Arizona can win. I, I doubt it. But either way, Arizona getting this monkey off their back, the players got to enjoy a victory. They got to Bear Down in the locker room. The coaches don't have to answer to a losing streak that wasn't even half theirs yet. You know, like, it's just for at least a week or maybe 48 hours, 24 hours, or whatever it was, they got to enjoy being Arizona Wildcats and playing football. The fact that they made it this long and still did that, I think that speaks well of the coaching staff and the ability to keep this team focused and bought in and going forward.
2: Well, and I think if you watch the video of them in the in the, the locker room afterwards and Jed Fish jokingly having to tell people, <laughs> I need some game balls to hand out, we haven't won around here in a while, seeing Stanley Berryhill Hill you know, give one back to the coach and say, calling him the best coach in the land. You know, for a team that hasn't won in 760 days, it shows that they're still bought in uh, to what Jed Fish is selling. And, you know, that's half the battle in
1: college football. Absolutely. So, congrats to the Arizona Wildcats football team. We can say this for the first time in a long time. I think this might be the first win you've talked about, Brett, on Wildcat Radio 2.0. So, congrats to you as well.
2: Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what to do with my hands.
1: I don't know what to talk <laughs> about in a win. Well, we can't talk about it, too. We can't revel in it too long. I mean, we, we will off the pod for sure. But this is our basketball preview episode, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Brian Peterson of AZ Desert Swarm to get some insight into the Arizona men's basketball team because it's really an interesting season, the first one in the Tommy Lloyd era. All right, welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0, and as promised, we're going to get into some Arizona Men's Basketball with help from Brian Peterson, who's the editor, managing editor of AzDesertStorm.com. Brian, I know you've been on before. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio
3: 2.0. Thanks for having me back. Guys.
1: So, Brian, I've talked a lot about Arizona Men's Basketball. We're excited for this season because it's kind of a it's a refresh, it's a restart for the program, especially after the last few years of some of just a dark cloud. It hasn't totally dissipated. But the Tommy Lloyd era begins. It started on Tuesday. Arizona beat NAU eighty-one fifty-two. But as this season begins, like, what is your, I guess, impression or even just initial expectation for year one of the Tommy Lloyd era?
3: I think just a complete wash. Like, anything that comes from it is gravy. And he, he's kind of said that a couple times this year where he keeps saying, I'm making no promises about this year. He inherited about half a roster. Um managed to keep some guys who were thinking about going elsewhere to stick around uh, it was lucky enough almost like like Sean Miller had recruited part of this roster for another coach because Tommy Lloyd has a background in international recruiting and there are a lot of international players on this team so he was able to convince them and then bring in some transfers and only a couple high school kids and um, it, it's a good mix of a group um, it's Certainly not anything that's going to be world beaters and won't be up there with any of the best teams in U of A history, but it's not going to be a bad team, it's not going to be, like, he didn't have to inherit, like, a uh, an empty roster, an empty uh, cupboard, so to speak. They're going to be good, I just don't think they're going to be great.
2: Yeah, it's, I guess it's a funny thing you said brian where it seems like sean miller recruited this roster for another coach it seems like tommy lloyd is that coach uh and but they it it strikes me that tommy lloyd is kind of sean miller uh like bizarro sean miller where he has a similar kind of emotionality about basketball and attention to detail but approaches things in some (laughs) some subtle and some significant ways and i think you know we see that even just in the exhibition game in the first game against nau with, you know, some pressure on the court, higher pace of ball movement, uh, a little more freedom on offense. What's what's your expectations uh, in terms of how Tommy Lloyd's going to run the program compared to what, what it was under Sean Miller?
3: Well, it's, it's funny. Some of the things that we've seen so far in terms of go, playing fast, going hard, and doing all that are the things that it seemed like Miller had always said they were going to do, but they never actually did. And whereas with Tommy, it's, it's going that way to this point. And the yeah, thing I'm noticing most so far is a let them play and let them figure this out kind of mentality. Uh, I noted last night, um, it was maybe about five minutes into the second half, uh, Arizona was bogging down a little bit offensively. NAU hit back-to-back three-pointers, and Boyd called a uh, 30-second timeout, and the first timeout of the second half the automatic TV timeout. It's the first timeout he's called in either the exhibition or the regular season game. Um, I mean, we all know that Shaw Miller probably would have called three timeouts in the first term. <laughs> it was just a little bit more of his style. It was, you know, if he sees something going wrong, he's going to stop it and then try to fix it, and, and well, usually to great success. But it was a matter of, like, i want to see if these guys can kind of figure it out. And, and it's a little bit of a refreshing change. Uh, we also, like, I don't think I've heard him yell once, or any sort of barking or anything from the sidelines, whereas Tom Miller was much more demonstrative, constantly pacing back and forth. Um, during the exhibition, uh, Tommy was almost, he spent almost as much time sitting on the bench as he did standing up and walking around. So it, it kind of fits, it, it, it fits in well with the fact that, like, he and his staff are going the casual route, polos and whatnot, no suits or anything like that. He much prefers that. And while on and, and, and his staff did that last year during COVID. Before that, he was, they were all suits and everything to that effect. So that almost fits into the kind of a different approach. They do have a lot of the same ideas as far as what you want to accomplish in, in terms of scheme and things like that, but when it comes to the actual game itself, completely different operation.
1: And that's one of the things, like Brett mentioned that this roster almost looks like it was brought in for Tommy Lloyd to be the coach, and obviously that wasn't necessarily the case, not with the bulk of it anyway, but these players liked Sean Miller. I'm sure they did. Like They were right. they were thinking of transferring when he was fired and all that. And Tommy Lloyd was able to bring him back in. But then we saw after the NAU game, the reaction that Lloyd got in that locker room. And it's his first win, sure. But it seems like these players really, really love Tommy Lloyd. Is that the impression you get from being around them, from talking to these guys? That Yeah, maybe they didn't come to Arizona to play for Tommy Lloyd, but they love having him as their coach?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were guys like Benedict Mastering, Kurt Frisa, Jules. Christian Coloco, all those guys, they, they're in a tough situation because they committed to this school because of Sean Miller, and now he's gone, and it's that whole crossroads, what do I do now? And all of them would have had opportunities to go elsewhere, and others did, you know. I Lee left, he, he wanted to have an opportunity to be able to play a little more. Unfortunately, he went and got hurt before the uh, preseason even started at George Washington, so he's not playing. Terrell Brown Jr. is is up at Seattle, or excuse me, Washington for twenty-two points in the first game, even though Washington lost. So you see guys that, that want to to go somewhere else because they had the opportunity, but these guys stuck around because they, they must have sent something with that Tommy looked, at least for this first team, like, hey guys, you are what I have and I'm going to make the most of what you have. And rather than try to fit you into my system, I'm, I, even though it is a different system, I'm going to go with what your skills are. And I think they're all getting to do a lot more uh, than they want. Dale and Terry mentioned that last night that he's always been a guy, um, a pass-first kind of guy, and that uh, with this system he's allowed to use his vision a little bit more, especially in the open court. He set a career high with seven assists last night. He had six of those in the first half. He had six of those with about six, seven minutes left mm-hmm. in the first half because with the way they play, there's always someone out running ahead of you or uh, parallel to you. And whereas, you know, maybe last year he would have driven to the basket because that's kind of what works with that. This time he's, he's finding someone open for a layup or a three-pointer and it. It, it flows for
2: Yeah, I feel like Dalen Terry is the perfect, uh, the perfect- person to fit into this system and i've been on the Dalen terry bandwagon for some time i actually think he's going to be the guy that makes or breaks uh this team in terms of both its ceiling and floor um what, what about some guys uh like umar Ballo or christian Coloco who are de- defense first guys and tommy lloyd is inherently you know i think known more as a, a maybe it's just a product of being at gonzaga more of an offensive kind of mindset free-flowing offense is what his calling card is How do you you think he's gonna be able to handle the two big guys there that are maybe a little more limited offensively, and how do do you see him developing and using them?
3: Well, he definitely doesn't want them to be one dimensional and and just on one side. And the way this system works is that when they're out running, there's no cherry-picking big men staying back, that they are trailing as a potential option. And we had, uh, Arizona went two for one in the first half last night, and the second half of that, was a transition play where Coloco was trailing on the play and it eventually got to him at the top of the key and he drove the lane and ended up doing a finger roll with about a half second left before the end of the first half. You would have never seen that last year. It would have been a matter of he would have been told to go down into the block and do that, but it, you, there never would have been any time for that. It, somebody would have either just tried to go coast to coast or they would have pulled up for a three. Which is still a, an option if, if it's there. But you want to have it so that everybody's having opportunities. That's like from the Coloco side. Um, but you'd also don't want to sacrifice any of his defense. He set a career high with five blocks last night. Umar Balo, uh, I called him, he's this year's high relief, uh, but with a much higher upside. And he's just much more physical, bigger physical presence and all that. He had eight points and nine rebounds in 10 minutes of play. Now, most of it wasn't significant time and all that. But he was, he was being active in there. He was finishing on his shots. He was he was just being active and doing all that, and and that's what they just want to have minutes like that where he can uh, grab some rebounds and just not just be a liability.
1: Right, we're talking to Brian Peterson, editor in chief of AZ Desert Swarm,
3: talking Arizona men's
1: basketball because this is this is a big season, obviously, and maybe it's not a Final Four season. No one's going into that type of mindset, but when it's the first season with a new coach, there's always that initial excitement, but. For Tucson, at that game, they allowed fans back in for the first time since 2019. What was the vibe like? Because there's a lot of Arizona fans who really loved Sean Miller and were not happy he was fired. And yet there's probably a lot of fans like, yeah, it's time to go another direction. And Tommy Lloyd's the guy. What was the feeling like? What was the reception like for this team and this new era of Arizona basketball?
3: Well, they were definitely enjoying all the scoring and transition and the fast play because you know, it was working for the most part, and it was very enjoyable. Um, they were getting into it. There was I, I didn't see any sort of uh, animosity at the fact that there was a change in the coaching staff or anything to that effect, um, but there was a, a time where um, there was a, a lob that was going to come in that the officials blew dead before it could happen, and the Zona Zoo started to boo a little bit, and Kirk Rees started, like, pegging them on like come on get get on the rest and all that and that got the rest of the crowd into it just realizing that these you know these guys love the fans and they said that afterwards um, that that adds so much to the excitement and it gets everybody going so I think that that the fans that were there uh, are like okay you know what we're we're glad to be back maybe we didn't want the coaching change some of us do but more than anything, we're here for the players and for the team, and we're, we're just happy that we get to get close to watch.
1: And it seems like the type of team that this crowd, this fan base, can really get behind, too, with, well, I guess they're kind of homegrown players. Guys, they're multi-year players in Arizona largely now, at least a lot of them in their second year, but they seem like a really likable team, too.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's there's familiar faces, um, and which hadn't been the case for a lot of the Miller years because of the way he recruited, there were a lot of guys that we're leaving after one year to go to the NBA. And, you know, that's, that's part of the game and all that. And maybe it'll be at that point at some point under Tommy, but when he was helping Mark Tewa, through and Gonzaga, they didn't have very many one-and-done guys. They had guys that um, were mostly trying to develop into becoming a stud and uh, using that extra year to be there, and I think that's what he's going to be hoping for at Arizona.
2: So, Brian, uh, you mentioned that you don't necessarily view this Arizona roster as a, a bunch of world beaters, but certainly not a bad team. Uh, you know, I, I'm an avid follower of you on the Twitter.com machine, so I, I, I feel obligated to, to present some type of sports betting-related question. I think a week or two back, Adam and I, uh, Adam threw out an over-under win total for this roster at 23.5 games. Are you over or under 23.5 wins?
3: for the regular season of 31 games? Um,
1: all of it, the entire season, including any postseason. Oh, including we're adding it all up. It all counts.
3: At least two more games. Um, I think, I mean, 21 and 10 seems like a doable regular season total. Um, so, oh, man, I might try to buy that down to 23. Um, <laughs> to at least get some push to it but it's just I mean like and the Pac-12 not superstar in any way and we saw that on the, the first day of the season, Powell lost, um, the Washington lost, Colorado went uh, to the overtime at home, um, Oregon State struggled, and Stanford struggled, um, I mean UCLA is, is the same team that just made the Final Four, Oregon is always very good. Um, and then really, ask and um, USC is good. Uh, after that, it's it's pretty wide open. I mean, there's there's nothing stopping Arizona from finishing the top four and getting that buy, the double buy, I should say. But that actually would potentially hurt an over under bet when it comes <laughs> to uh, total wins because that would potentially mean one less game. Finishing fifth and being in the 12th seed actually helps your bet. So that's something. You say.
2: A journey into the mind of a. Uh, Degenerate sports Degenerate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Win totals only include regular season because you you know how many games are being
1: played. We're not setting the lines here, fortunately. But it kind of goes to the idea of, like, we. I think we all agree this is a pretty talented team. It's a pretty good team, but we don't know exactly how high that ceiling is. Like, I think we all expect a floor of a quality basketball team. Top half of the Pac-12 basketball team is the floor. But is there a ceiling top third? Like, they could reach that seemingly... With little trouble, I think assuming things go right, people like Kirk Rea plays like he did against Nau and stays healthy because they're a little bit thin in the backcourt, But if all goes according to plan, this is an upper echelon Pac-12 team that would make the dance if they're eligible for it and could maybe reach the second weekend. I would think.
3: I, I'm going to reserve judgment until uh, December because they're not going to face anybody of any substance until. They get to Vegas next weekend where they're going to play Wichita State, which needed a almost half-court shot to, to win its first game against Jacksonville State yesterday. Um, and then either UNLV or Michigan. If they don't get Michigan in the second game, then that means then we really won't see anything until they have, I believe it's December 11th, when they go to Illinois, which will be a huge test. And then 10 or 11 days later, they go to Tennessee. So um, before that, they'll have two Pac-12 games. But those are home against Washington, which is probably the worst team in the league, if not second worst to, to Cal. And then Oregon State, which is on the road, which will be tough. But um, that, that, that would be a, a good indicator. But again, that's also not Swiss Assembly. So we can't base anything off of the first three games at home because none of those teams are particularly good. You mean,
2: you mean UTRGV? Is it going to be a good telltale test for the basketball team?
3: Probably not.
0: That's a lot of letters. Uh, they just beat, yeah,
3: well, they just beat Texas A&M International, so that would be T-A-M-M-I, <laughs> uh, a Division II school, which has an awesome nickname, the Dust Devils. So, Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that was cool and all that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because, uh, actually, more sort of say next Tuesday is not horrible, though. They're they're going to contend for the, uh, the Summit League title, but um, they're, you know, one of those 14-seed kind of... Things in the NCAA tournament, so that could be a decent enough game. Um, but you'll get those games in Vegas, and then they come home. They get Sacramento State, which is was already not good, and their coach stepped down right before the season because of health reasons. So you've got some some flux there. And none of the other teams they're playing at home on this schedule um, really are anything to, to cry home about in the non-conference. All all the ones are on the road. And and Tommy has mentioned that you know he he loves. It's, having those big games, but he also knows um, he's he's probably learning fast that he's going to be hard-pressed to get any major team to want to come and play in Tucson, even in a home-and-home, that he'd be willing to do, and so they may have to settle for neutral. That
1: makes sense, and of course we all like those big games when Arizona has them. Brian, we brought you on for basketball, and we're going to leave it there for basketball. Really quick, though, how nice was it to cover a football win? (laughs) It's been a while.
3: It was, it was definitely a different feeling um, and to, just to see that Jed and the players in, when talking afterwards, not having to search for things that went well. Um, in an otherwise bad day, you know, asking them, hey, what did you think about having those great stats in a game you lost kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it was also nice to, you know, we go up to the area where we do the post-game media, and normally it's very somber and quiet up there because it's part of the football office. Instead, there was music flaring and pumping from, from Jed's office. There was almost like a high-five line when he came out of there to come into the presser. The players came. They were loving it. They were sharing all this stuff that was going on for them. And, you know, it was, actually a big party and, and that. what do you expect when it's been what was it, seven hundred and sixty three days without a win? So Who's let let everybody have their fun. But uh, as, as Jed told us on Monday after that that, you know, they come back to practice on Sunday and the first thing he did is he made the players run for the penalties in that game and then he made the coaches run. Because in that fourth quarter when they had the sideline infraction and then they had the unfortunate like conduct and all that, that was all on the coaches. They made them run as well. And then it's like, all right, well, yes, we've won a game, but that no longer can be a goal. Now we have to just play regular football.
1: Nice, nice. Well, Brian Peterson, editor-in-chief of AZDowStorm. You can follow him on Twitter, at RealBJP. Thanks for giving us some time on Wildcat Radio 2.0, man. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: All right, so that's... That's men's basketball. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk some women's hoops. And we're back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. And we are joined by P.J. Brown, the Arizona Daily Star. P.J., welcome back to the show.
0: Thanks for having me back, guys.
1: Oh, We have to. Arizona women's basketball, the season after falling just short in the national title game, there's high expectations, really high expectations for a team that seems to have lost a lot, too. Just big picture as you start the season. Just how is the vibe? What are you thinking of this team?
0: It's, um, you know, it's a sort of, this is a phrase that gets used a lot and probably overused, but it's kind of new, a new era for the, uh, Wildcats. They, um, they're, they look different than they have in the past. Everyone was so used to looking at Ari McDonald and watching her on the court. And, um, now she's not there but they have a great group of returnees coming back who all improved and look they look different than they did last year and then we have the transfers who came in really top rated transfer class and then we have a great group of freshmen who came in and you know there's 15 players on this team uh coach Adia Barnes can go very deep she's never had a um, a bench that's been this deep where she could actually play the 15th player and then all 15 probably could play on at any other team in any other program in the country and um, she has to figure out now who's going to get the minutes she pretty much has her starters set which um, since the in both the exhibition games and the home opener have been the same and that's Kate Reese, Sam Thomas, Shana Pellington, uh, Ben Duyaney, and Lauren Ware. And that's set, but it's just who comes in next and what combinations work best. And then you got a couple of freshmen in there who, um, in Hisela Sanchez, Maddie Connor, who we had seen last bit, spring, yeah. and uh, Nettie Bonle, who, who could play right now. And, and and I'm sure we'll find minutes in special spots and everything. So it's just a matter of how uh, Adia is going to piece this all together. But it's going to be – it looks a lot different. There is um, scoring, a lot of scoring. There's a lot of shooters on this team. They can shoot three-pointers. And then you have these players inside like Nettie, Bonla and um, Araya Copeland, who's a transfer and they're the bigs inside and they could score inside. So you have this inside outside game sort of that they really didn't have before. And so it's, it's really this new look for them. Um, And, you know, it's early and they, once they sort of figure out who plays the best together and makes and, and, you know, can keep doing that, um, just can piece it all together. So, like, their Arizona, signature Arizona defense, it's not quite there yet with some of the new players, but in a month it's going to be there, or a month and a half. And as we go through the season, it's just going to look better and better and better.
1: And, obviously, if Ari McDonald wanted to stick around, if she could have stuck around, you take that, right? a De'Abron's Brunswick be like, hey, you can play here as long as you want but is there maybe some sense, too, that some of the players like a Sam Thomas or a Kate Reese or some of these people who were around last season, now that they, like, without the presence of Ari McDonald, without that shadow, maybe without that needing to defer to her at times, they kind of can grow a bit more and take over a role and do things that they were always capable of doing but just weren't asked to do or maybe couldn't do with just a star like Ari McDonald on the team?
0: Yeah, I think it just sort of wasn't the system before right it was um, more focused on airy there was a lot of speed um, they lose some of that obviously this year the speed aspect of it um, also the thing that really helped this year that they didn't have last year is the off season and what's what's interesting about the off season in arizona is that typically Adia Barnes and her staff have all the players come in and they work with them. They do individual skills all summer long, from about July on until they start really preseason training. And um, that's when it's like the secret sauce comes into play. Um, Adia Barnes and Salvo Copa as well as the rest of their coaching staff they are known for developing players and this is when it happens it happens in that off season the year before because of covid they didn't they weren't able to come together right, and do right. that this year you you see really sam thomas who is always steady and great she's more aggressive on defense you see her she's added different shots to her game. Now, that wasn't there before, and now you see it. So she's even, she was a pretty well-rounded player before, and she's even better now. Um, You see Helena Poyo doing things now. Um, I wrote for um, a note for uh, Thursday's paper, and it's about Helena Poyo and how Adia Barnes is now using her a little bit at the one, so she's a point guard. And what makes her great as a point guard is she's taller, and she could see the floor, and she could see things. She's a great passer, which we already knew. She does a lot of no looks and different things like that. But she can tell when people are open. She has the right passes at the right time. She, um, the offense flows well through her. And then on defense, she's picked it up even more, Um, you know, and if you looked at her stat line from the home opener, you know, almost every single bucket was filled. You know, she had like a certain number of points. She had about four assists. She had five or six rebounds. She had a couple steals. She had a block. I mean, here's somebody that you really can't keep off the floor. Um, she's improved so much and then, you know, right down the line, Kate's better than she was last year. She's really grown and seems, she seems like she's aggressive, like she's been in the past, but she's sort of playing within herself, if that makes sense. She's a little bit more in control and some of that is her, um, I think improving and having that summer to work on her game, and also because now they have the a couple of other people um, down low with her and Nettie and Araya, who do some of that dirty work and can play a certain way. And Kate doesn't have to play that way, and she could work on her threes. So she's hit, she she's hitting those threes better. Um, it also helps her that Lauren Ware went to uh, Team USA and played in the, um, uh, in Europe uh, with them. And she's better from having that experience. All of that helps Kate Reese and helps her get better. Um, and also, obviously, Lauren wears better. So, I mean, if you go right down the line with everyone, that summer, uh, those two or three months where they get to just every day come in, work with their position coach, work on certain things. I mean, it's always shooting. It's always the fundamentals, but just keep getting better at those day by day. And that's a game changer. And that's part of what makes this program really unique and helps them continue to grow and now be in the spot where they can, um, they will go, I wouldn't, I could say this right now. They will be in the NCAA tournament, (laughs) And I imagine they'll go far. Whether they go to the championship game or not, you know, I can't say that. It's beginning of the season. But um, they're going to be one of those teams from now on that you can count on. Every year in and year out, they'll be in the NCAA tournament. Year in and year out, they're going to be ranked and they probably will be ranked top 10, top 12, top 15. Every single year and probably move up as the year goes on, as they get better. Um, and and a lot of that just goes right back to that summer training that they do, that individual training. And, um, you know, Idea Barnes even said the other day that the other little secret sauce thing they do, which now people know, is that um, they do every day they work on fundamentals. Most teams don't do that. They do that every day. That repetition, all of a sudden you have muscle memory. And as you go along in the season, you know, those shots will start falling. That defense will tighten up. Certain things like that, just the basics, will be raised to another level. And it's because they just keep working on it, keep working on it, keep working on it. And, and again, that's what separates them from other programs.
2: PJ, you talked a lot about the development of players and there's already been a pretty strong track record. I'm really excited to see it to the players, you know, speaking to the depth on this team that you didn't even mention in there that I'm actually really curious to see uh, because I think they're going to, you know, nobody can replace an area McDonald, but maybe there's players that can fill some of the gaps there or, fill it fill that hole a little bit maybe in a different their own way i'm really i'm personally really curious to see the development of uh of pellington and yaney this year because i feel like they both showed flashes a lot last year especially you know i think they each had big games in the in the postseason individually where they really were one of the main reasons they've won um what's what's the early reports on how, how they're developing and how they're going to kind of step into a bigger role?
0: Sure. Um... I, I just want to point out that I agree with you about replacing. Every year, it doesn't matter if it's an Ari McDonald or it's a Trinity Baptiste or it's a Dominique McBride or a T.T. Starks. Whoever leaves, you never replace them because each individual player is of themselves. So what's going to happen the next year is that everybody's just going to improve. You're going to bring in people who are good at one thing that maybe fills a hole that you didn't have before, but it has, but it's not about replacing a player. It's about sort of, I look at it as replacing or filling a hole really. So like last year, you know, they haven't been a good rebounding team last year. They got better, but they're really not good this year. They have, you know, Koi love and, and, um Ariah copeland and now Nettie um Vonla, and they have people who really they rebound and it's completely different than what they have before and so everybody comes in and brings their own little twist to it and it just adds to the team but getting back to your question about Bandu and shana sorry about all that but um so bandu and shana Shayna had her best game of the season in the national championship game. Good timing. Which was, yeah, great timing, right? I think, you know, talking to Shayna, last year was just, she hadn't played in two years, um, college basketball. And it was a little bit hard for her to sort of, I think, get in the groove and really get into the system and find her spot in it. I would imagine that this year, um from and from what i've seen of her um she it she'll play much better she'll look much different than she has in the past uh in the home opener she had five assists which is pretty darn good considering uh i'm gonna look this up i actually have the uh box score here how many minutes she played because she didn't play a lot um let's see she played Uh, about 14, almost 15 minutes. Um, That might be what she plays during the season. I don't know. But a lot of the starters they took out early, Adia did in that game, and and they let other people play um, in the home opener. So she had five assists. Um, I don't think she scored much, uh, if at all. Um, But um, she was doing other things that as a point guard they need, and things on defense that they need. Her defense is really good. She's fast. She's um, kind of pesky on defense. And we used that word with uh, Aerie McDonald last year. I know that. But but she's sort of a little bit in the same mold when you look at her on defense. Um, She will be much better. I've seen actually in practice where um, – her drives are really good. She's finishing. She's um, hitting some threes. She added that that element. Um, we will probably see that as the season goes on, um, more and more. Uh, uh, ben do also. Uh, her shot's much better. I I don't quite know what happened last year. I mean, I didn't see her in practice last year, but. Um, Those shots are falling. She's finishing. That was a big thing, I think, with Bendu was just she would even get the layups, and it would just be hard for her to finish. Um, I think she's sort of a little more – I think a lot of that was she was trying to do too much, you know, and and not just playing within herself. I think as she does that and she gets more comfortable, those shots will start falling, Um, and she's an excellent defensive player. Uh, she's got those long arms like Sam Thomas, and she blocks a ton of, um, you know, balls on defense and gets some steals and some tips and stuff like that. But um, both of those, I think at, both of those players, as the season goes on and as everybody gets sort of used to their new roles, I think that we'll see that they, they really sort of um, – own those roles and they will score more and they will, you will notice them more in those roles instead of um, uh, not sort of knowing what they did. Although I will say there are some players on the team that um, you don't quite notice till you look later in the box score. (laughs) Like you knew they did stuff, but they quietly do things. I think Helena sort of like that. She quietly does things, and you really have to pay attention to realize, unless she's hitting her threes and going off and getting four threes or five threes in a game, you sort of have to really pay attention to see up close what Helene is doing and the difference she makes in each game. Koi uh, Love is, is sort of like that. I think um, from what I've seen in practice, um, she's sort of um, she's sort of sneaky. She's not afraid to get into traffic in the paint and sneak in there and she finishes and she can do all of that, um, which is great. And she's pretty good on defense. Um, And I just think it's a matter of time as, you know, all these players get used to the system and the system has um, changed since last year. So every year it gets tweaked and it gets it's changed a little bit based on the, you know, the players that are there and what they can do. And it gets, as the season goes on, it gets a little more complicated as more things are added in and all of that. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see those. I think, you know, I always say it's really fun to take a game or take a quarter or a half and watch one player, one player that you normally wouldn't watch. And really see what they do, you know. Sam Thomas is always one of my go-tos. I'll watch her in defense, and um, it's just really fascinating to see what she does and everything, and and how she gets those tips and blocks and steals and all. And and just really how she she sort of runs the defense on the defensive side. She's telling people where to go. She's communicating a lot. she's getting over and help defense when somebody needs help. She's um, uh, she's all over her player and you know really narrowing those passing lanes and doing all of that and that's really fun. Now I think coy would be somebody else to watch because you know it's gonna be fun to see how she gets into the paint and gets through that traffic. Um, so there's a lot of players. you can do that with Helena. Um, just a lot of them that you want, you know, just to see what they're doing out there. That isn't the, Oh, somebody's just hitting all those three pointers. Right.
1: It sounds like what you're describing is a program that can, it can withstand losing tremendous talent because there's either more great talent on the roster and they keep bringing in talent. And it seems kind of sudden for Arizona to be that kind of program, right? You were saying from here on for a while, it should be top 25 every year, tournament team every year. It seems like it just kind of came out of nowhere. Obviously it didn't because two years ago, they would have made the tournament the year before that they won the NIT. So it has been that steady rise, but to go from say NIT champs to where they're at right now, that seems like a pretty big jump. And yet when you're saying all this, it doesn't sound like unreasonable because you look at this roster and say, yeah, that's a, that's a really good roster. That is a deep team with a lot of skill. I is it really something that happened that quickly?
0: It is. I mean, when you usually when you come in to a program that's in a low period, right? This was the lowest, I think that this uh, for sure that this program ever was. Um, it's going to take you probably six years, they say, to turn it around. And Adia did it much quicker. Uh, a lot of that had to do with bringing in the transfer class of Gary McDonald, Dominique McBride, and T.T. Starks. And so that really supercharged this turnaround, as well as having, and then on the flip side, I mean, she brought in Sam Thomas, and that was her first, um, idea's first top 100 recruit. Then she brings in Kate Reese, who's the uh, program's first McDonald's All-American. So at the same time that she brought in and has these transfers that change the trajectory of the program. She also recruits really good players. And that just continued. And then that, along with the development, that's why the development is so good. Um, uh, coach, uh, former coach, I still call her Coach B, Joan Bombasini always says that um, you, can, you can recruit a top 25 player, but... A lot of them, when you look at their careers in college, they don't look like a top 25, right? Because they never develop to what they're supposed to be. So in high school, that's great. And there are a few players who come in like the, you know, we're looking at the Paige Beckers at UConn. And players like that who come in and they can start right away. And they are player of the year, their freshman year. But the majority of people, no matter how good you are as a recruit coming in, you know you have to work at it. It's just not there. You you have to obviously understand the system, but you really there are things you you're a freshman. You have to learn learn how to do things and get better. And there there's a lot that goes into that. And so that's an important piece of the puzzle that sometimes people forget about that development. And and that's really how that happened, along with um, Adia being a really good X's and O's coach. And I think we talked about this probably after the uh, title game last spring. But, you know, when we look at that UConn game, and I've gone back and looked at it, Sometimes what what people really forget is that Adia Barnes out coached Gino Ariama, mm-hmm. and so that's the coach that is on the sidelines right now this year. I know that was last year, but she's the same person, and she's just probably gotten better because she works at it. She went to the she was an assistant coach for the America team, USA's America gold medal winners, that every off season, she does something for her own development to get better. That experience for her coaching under Don Staley help projects, you know, it helps boost her for this season and for next season. And so as the players are getting better, she's getting better
3: and
0: it, it, Those are things that all work together to make this program all of a sudden take this jump from not being a great program to not being in the NCAA tournament for 17 years to getting there to going on this incredible run and being one basket away from winning the whole thing. And then coming back the next year after you lose your the program's best player ever in the history of the program in Ari McDonald and saying, you know, and she said, we have a great team this year. We can do even better. And how can you do that? It's a mixture of all these things coming together.
1: There's not much better you can do either, right? There's, yeah. <laughs> they came one wood short of doing the best you could do. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and the thing is, though, you know, the, the big thing is a lot of teams who get there never get there again to that title game and they don't get a chance to win it. I don't, we, who knows whether Arizona will ever get there again, but it will, I believe that it will be a program that is considered one of the better programs in the country going forward. And like I said, you know, always ranked within the top 15, a perennial NCAA tournament team. And, um, you're right to go from where they were to where they are now and to be we're, that we're sitting here talking about this is pretty darn incredible.
2: Yep. PJ, a question I have for you. We, we you touched on it a little bit. And maybe this is for, you know, our listeners who, you know, are, are fans of Adita Barnes and what she's doing, but just don't know as much about the women's game. Uh, they're familiar. We have a lot of familiar faces. We touched on a lot of them. It's a lot of the starting lineup and key reserves. Uh, But you mentioned a couple of the, the, the the newcomers in the, in the transfers and the freshmen. If you, I know this is a hard question to narrow down because I feel like you can go six or seven deep even there. Who's, who's the newcomer that you think Arizona fans should most have their eye out for that's going to make the biggest impact.
0: So that's a tough one because um, there are so many and, and so many that really came in and, were just either just as good as advertised or better from what, from the little sample size I've seen, right? Um, but the one that, one person that I keep telling people to watch is Koi Love. Um, she's a transfer from Vanderbilt. Uh, she basically averaged, a, oh, nearly averaged a double-double last season. I know she had a shortened season, um, but she, I think she can be a breakout star this year um and then you know um the freshmen are just remarkable um you know and and again and I don't want to say anything about the other two transfers because they're great too I think Taylor Chavez you know she played at Oregon and I remember her freshman year I believe it was when she won six woman of the year six player of the year and um I used to I watched her play, and I always thought, "Wow, she's got a really sweet game." And and now I'm going to get to cover her every game this season, and if she comes back and plays next season, and um, that's pretty incredible. She's got a sweet game. She's she can hit those threes, and um, and again, it's just you know it'll be fun to watch. And Ariya Copeland is um, really she she also almost averaged a double double. She um, her shooting percentage was about sixty one percent last year, and it was third, I think, in the nation. It was first in the SEC, and she came from Alabama. I mean, that's pretty darn incredible. Um, so to have that element, you know, again that that the Wildcats didn't have before is cool. The freshman, getting back to the freshman, um, Maddie Connor is um, is someone to watch. She came in here last year as a, you know, in January, she she graduated from high school early and was an early enrollee and got to play through um, January through the uh, title game um, and was thrown into that as a 17-year-old and pretty much held her own. And she's uh, in the gym, gym every day. I think it was a few days after the tournament ended, I saw... She shared some videos on Twitter of her, like, in the gym working out again. She was determined um, just to get better, to get stronger, and to work on that shot. And um, she'll be fun to watch. Um, Nanny Vonley in the middle. Um, You know, she's got really, like, a soft touch. And she can finish. And she does things that a lot of bigs as freshmen can't do. So that's kind of neat. And we were all surprised with Gisela Sanchez from Spain because, you know, it's hard with the uh, players from overseas because we don't see a lot of film on them. They're really not rated. Um, so you really don't know what to expect. But she came in, and um, she's just – She's shooting the ball. She's doing some really good things there. Um, and, uh, and Anna Gret, a C. we're going to see her, you know, hit those three she's good at. She's a really good passer. So I think she'll probably be playing at the one at point for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I can just go down the list.
2: <laughs> yeah. I I, 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 uh, I tried to pin you down to one, PJ, and you you, you mm-hmm. went down the whole list. But I, I understand it because I think it's a reflection of – how bright the future is from top to bottom in this roster. Uh, And with that in mind, we, you know, we happen to have you on national signing day and there's a couple of great players. There's going to a consensus top 10 class uh, with the headliner being a a familiar name for Arizona fans. uh, At least the last name with Najee, Maya Najee. Can you kind of maybe quickly touch on the, the, the recruiting class and kind of the momentum there?
0: Sure. Um, Adia Barnes picked up three uh, players for the class of 2022 today. And Maya Najee is the highest rated Wildcat coming in. She's rated number nine overall by ESPN. She's number three in her position, which is forward. She's six, four. She can basically do it all. That's what you need to know about Maya on the court. You also need to know about Maya off the court. Off the court, she is really, really smart. She's got a, um, got a lot of other interests, whether it's music, whether it's writing. And um, she's also all about giving back. She told the story to me the other day, which I um, I was only supposed to write one story in advance of signing day. And after talking to Maya, I had to write two. Um, I wrote a whole story about how she and her younger sister started this project where they've um, put together packages of toothpaste, blankets, food to give to the homeless. And they go out and they've gone out in her hometown of, um, they go out in Minneapolis and they drive around and find them and give them these packages. And then when she came to Tucson on her official visit a couple weeks ago, she realized that for all the meals she was having with the team and the coaches um, there was way too much food and it was all going to waste and they were going to throw it away. And she said, no, she's like, can we package this up, drive around Tucson and find the homeless and give it to people who need it. And so coach Adia was driving her around (laughs) Tucson and later on they found somebody in a park and and Maya gave them the food um and she hopes to continue this things like this when she comes to Tucson um I, it's just uh you don't hear too many stories like that so watch up for not uh Maya and and pay attention to her in both ways you know she's really good basketball player, and she's a good person, um, a special person. Um, The next one, actually, uh, the first verbal commit last January was Kaylin Gilbert, and she's out of Florida. She's going to be playing for IMG Academy this year, um, and Coach Adia is very excited about that because she thinks that she'll get um, a lot, you know, more coaching to get her – more ready to play at the college level. Uh, Kaylin is comes in. I think she's the 31st. ESPN ranks her number 31 overall, and I think nine as a guard. And um, uh, as my colleague at the Star, uh, Justin Spears likes to call her a walking bucket. She scored 47 points in a game last year and 42 in another. Um, She's just, she can do a lot. She's really um, an exciting player to watch. I've watched a lot of her video and um, she's really, it's going to be added complete, a different element to this team. Um, And the last one that they signed is uh, Lamaya Hilton and she's from Canada And um, she's the highest-ranked, I think, international player. And I think she's ranked 85th. But I don't really think that they pay attention to international players (laughs) too much. So she's probably better. I'm sure she's better than her ranking. Um, I will say that. And she's uh, right now she's at a camp for the Canadian national team and she's at some type of a the training camp in fact it was kind of funny today because we everybody else uh signed early in the morning and we had to wait till about five o'clock for her to sign because (laughs) she was training all day and so she wasn't ready till five to sign
1: it's funny how that works and before we let you go just like it sounds like this is arizona sometimes when you have a program that is that high level right like you can lose an airy mcdonald and maybe not be like and not necessarily not get worse. I don't want to say be better because it's hard to be better, but be different and still be really, really good. And, of course, they're going to lose more talent after this season. But you have this recruiting class coming in, plus the one that came in this season that will take over, where you don't rebuild. The rebuild is over. Not just reloading year after year after year. And, and wow. And, and the one thing I can't, you know, listening to all that, too, before I let you, I keep thinking is, like, they got to the final for they got to the championship game last season as a program, and it'd be easy to be like, well, okay, we've arrived. And I, they have arrived. But that mentality is probably a lot harder to have because of what they've lost, which is if you're a Dia Barnes, like, you're in the perfect situation with your roster right now to where you probably have to convince them to work hard because, like, yeah, like, everyone's doubting you. They are ranked, what, 22nd right now? It's like mm-hmm. you were in the championship game and people still don't believe in you. Like, and yet they're so talented to where, like, she's probably got to be loving this situation, like, for this season and, of course, what she's building for the, you know, down the road.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that um, they came into the season with a really, like, I've been calling it a championship mindset. They um, they want to get back there, and this time they want to win. They feel like they didn't accomplish their mission. They feel like, um, idea feels like they haven't done anything yet. And I think the players probably pick up on that. So they're hungry, maybe hungrier. Now they know what it takes to get there and what it would have taken to win that they just didn't have, right? Coming one point, being beat by one point, you know what you did and what you didn't do to win the, that game. And they bring that in. Um, they also bring in, um, I think, a better sense of um, team. Which is interesting, too. So they're more – they were together last year. I think probably COVID brought them a little closer together. And this year, as all these new freshmen and and transfers come in, it's like they – as everybody who was there, like, put their arm around them and said, we're one big team, we all have the same goal. Whereas sometimes when transfers and freshmen come in, it's not – that easy to adjust to this transition and I think everybody sort of gave them a big hug and brought them in um, I think that sort of changes it too changes sort of the whole outlook um, and this team at the moment the returners have been used to people not believing in them not talking about people in the Tucson community but people outside, people, like, on the East Coast and nationally, right? And so that carries over. They still have that same mindset while they were there, and they really should have a target on their back. Because they're rated 22, they don't. It's more like they're still, as Adia likes to say, you know, they're still hunting and not the hunted. And so that's a little twist, too, that makes this year kind of unique because you would have thought you would have turned the corner. And, but, I, but you know, everybody else sees that area is gone. And so they don't know what to make of this team. And they're going to find out at some point that, you know, they're more balanced. They, they have – Everything that maybe was a hole last year has been filled. They have really solid three-point shooters. They have the rebounding inside, um, and so they can play an inside-out game. They can do all of that. It's the first time they've been able to do that in a in a really long time. First time Coach Adia has been able to do that, and so yes, um, it's just this interesting moment where we all look at it and say, Well, They've come this far, and they're going to continue, right? Because we see it, but nobody else sees it yet, and they have to prove it. They still have to prove it, and they're going to, and and they may have to keep proving it. We don't know. Um, The change. I would imagine this changes at some point down the road when um, everybody who's a returner on this team leaves and then everybody who comes in is a is a top-rated kid, like a Maya Najee or a Kaylin Gilbert, right? So they will have a different mindset, even though the culture will be sort of, we have a chip on our shoulder. We always have a chip on their shoulder. But they will sort of, um, I don't know if they'll ever quite lose all of that. Um, we'll see. But um, for this season... It's more of um, they know what they can do, and they're just going to go out and play their game.
1: Love it. Like, that's where you want to be, right? As a program, you want to be talented and then kind of overlooked because then that's how you have those fun seasons and how you kind of catch up, sneak up on some teams. And this seems like a squad that can absolutely do that. P.J. Brown from the Arizona Daily Star, Tucson.com. You can follow her on Twitter at pjbrown Brown09. Like, we appreciate you joining us, and we'll have you on again, too, during the season because we are excited for this team because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I think, every bit as good as you think they are and every bit as good as the rest of the country doesn't know they are.
0: Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so that's P.J. Brown from the Arizona Daily Star. So when we come back, some final thoughts. We're back. One more segment here. We're going to make it a quick segment because we got a lot of great talk from Brian Peterson, from PJ Brown. We know a lot more about the Arizona men's and women's basketball teams heading into this season. Of course, we, in the first segment, Brett, enjoyed that football victory. Or I can't even say that football victory. It's just the football victory because there haven't been that many. So, like, I've really enjoyed this show so far.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I want to know uh, – in football and uh, great talk. It's it's the, the, uh, the optimism uh, with Arizona sports right now is at the highest it's been in a while with the football team starting a new winning streak uh, basketball season starting with two promising basketball teams on the men's and women's side. And even beyond that, there's more optimism of things that are coming with some other news today with the signing day. Yeah, yeah. We
1: we didn't actually plan to record on signing day, but we are recording here on uh, Wednesday, the 10th of November. It is signing day, of course. PJ touched on some of the great recruiting class that Idea Barnes has brought in. Tommy Lloyd's only inked one recruit. Dylan Anderson, a four-star from the Arizona area. He's a center. That one we've known for a while, and that just kind of speaks. I've read some articles, too, I think in the Daily Star as well, just about Tommy you know, recruiting strategy based on the fact that they might be losing scholarships down the road and players leaving. Like, they can't afford to put guys on scholarship that they're going to miss on. Because if they transfer out, then you don't get that scholarship back if Arizona loses scholarships, which seems, I don't want to say likely, but it's a strong possibility. And then also, just the roster they have now, how many of these guys are going to be two, three, four-year players? Whereas before, Sean Miller, it was like, you knew the one undone. It's like, they're gone. You need to replace them. They may not need to replace some of these guys, so I don't mind him being a little bit more picky, a little bit more choosy, because it, it makes sense. Every reason he's provided for why they're doing it that way makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's and you don't know exactly what the roster, how many guys are going to depart the roster next year, and Dylan Anderson is a, is a highly rated local guy. Um, i got to give a shout-out to our earlier guest, Brian Peterson, in his AZ Desert Swarm article, said that Anderson is nicely ranked, uh, by 247 sports is the number 69 player in the 2022 class. Yes. <laughs> so I just wanted to do a, a chef's kiss call out for for, for Brian's nicely ranked uh, comment there. Um, but you know it's it's a it, Arizona should be getting those kind of players and it's good to keep those guys home um and we'll see you know by the as the season goes along we'll I think Tommy Lloyd will also see a you know where the roster is going to be come the offseason I who's going to go to the NBA Maybe transfer out, uh, but also, God willing, will you know all this optimism. We still have the cloud of potential additional sanctions, but yeah, help clarify in the in the in the not so distant future. Well, as the
1: games start, it'll clear up one idea of like what does a Tommy Lloyd Arizona team look like? Like well, people will be able to see on the court. He'll be able to show players in Arizona uniforms being coached by him and say, "This is what the offense will look like. This is the type of best. Totally. we're going to play." But what he can't do anything about is the possible IARP ruling and what kind of sanctions may still be yet to come. So. Certainly, Arizona's recruiting. Whatever they're doing right now isn't probably going to be how it's going to be two, three, four years from now. But just for them, the best thing that can happen is getting on the court and playing, and of course, and playing well. If they go, <laughs> they start playing, they start losing every week, and they look bad. It's like, ooh, that's, that's not good. But assuming Arizona plays well, and I think we're both pretty optimistic, even Brian said too, he thinks they're going to be a pretty good team this season, that at least that'll be on film. That'll help them recruiting. He can go to a living room and say, that, you know, this is what, this is how, you can say, this is how you fit into my team. This is how you fit into my system. This is what we can do with you and not base it on what happened at Gonzaga and he wasn't really the head coach. Um, Chip Hale, yeah, another first year coach for Arizona. There's a lot of first year coaches at Arizona right now, but the baseball coach who, admittedly, I'm not as high on, and I wasn't as high on that selection. Like, I don't have a problem with Chip Hale. I just thought Arizona could have done better. Of course, it's going to come down to can he recruit? And Arizona. Picked up their early signing class here, uh, the first recruiting class, and it's really big on in-state talent. There's 14 guys of the 19-member class are from Arizona. It's not super highly ranked, but that also doesn't include the JUCOs, and there's a good amount of JUCOs in this class. So it's baseball. We don't have as much of the, you know, you see the basketball players, four-star, five-stars, or anything like that. But similar to how Judd Fish said he wanted to attack the state of Arizona, similar to Tommy Lloyd's first recruit for Arizona is an Arizona-based player, Chip Hale really going after the state.
2: Well, and, it, it, and we've talked about it a bit in the past when it comes to baseball recruiting. It's a different animal in that you don't offer full ride scholarships. You usually offer fractional scholarships, and you still have to fill out a roster mm-hmm. effectively with that. Um, and I think that maybe that's, there might be some, you know, there might be some strategy in focusing on Arizona talent because it's easier for Arizona talent to stay home from a cost perspective when they're not on a full ride scholarship. and – you know, B Arizona has a pretty good baseball talent pipeline, uh, you know, in the prep programs and and the JUCO programs. Right. Yeah. Um, And, and of course it's, it's, it's college baseball. So, you know, the, the most highly rated guys that'll influence those rankings, they're probably going to go to the, you know, get drafted and take the millions of dollars to go be a minor league prospect um, and never play a, play a, you know, an inning of baseball on campus anywhere. So, it's, it's, it's hard to get too, um, too up or down in baseball recruiting, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously uh, optimistic about what they've signed, and it, it, hopefully it was by design and not just by happenstance with the local class uh, because I could see it as a path to success.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, I, I don't remember ever being excited about a Jay Johnson baseball class. I look and say, oh, they're ranked number 12 in the country. Cool. But individually, I'm like, I don't know who these guys are. So, like, I don't want to sit here and pretend. We'll have guests on I mean, Michael Lev is a good baseball guy. We'll have him on to talk about baseball, too, once football season ends. But, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to tell about Chip Hill because even he's inherited quite a bit of talent, too. So, I mean, if Arizona should be a good team. If they, if they fall apart, if they fall flat on their face and struggle, then that might be an indictment. But if they're good this season, then, yeah, that's fine. He kept that humming. It's just what can he do recruiting-wise? Can he bring in talent? There's nothing that says he didn't. There's nothing that says the guys he signed today or that, you know, committed to Arizona are not going to be good and be the next great Arizona Wildcats baseball players. But we'll see. Chip Hale did say in his press conference that one of the questions he was getting from people was, well, how long does he plan on being at Arizona? You know, he's a little bit older, and, of course, he has major league baseball experience. He would tell them, no, this is his dream job. He's not going anywhere. He's around for the long haul, which I believe him when he says that. Like, I absolutely believe that this is his dream job and that he plans to be at Arizona for as long as he possibly can. So, and once he gave them that answer, they were a little bit, they felt better. But also, it's just going to be a matter of, what does his team look like with him? Is he a good college baseball coach? He's a name for some people, but how is he as a college baseball coach? Similar to how Tommy has to show what he can do. At least he was in college basketball with a premier program. Chip Hale doesn't have that in his back pocket. So this is his first college head coaching job. He's got to show what type of coach he is, what type of program he can build and run. And granted, he's not taking over a program that was in bad shape. This isn't a Jet Fish situation either where he has to rebuild a program. He just needs to kind of maintain what Jay Johnson had done and maybe have, you know, have to tweak it to his style and things that he wants, his type of player, his type of baseball, but he walks into a better situation roster wise, but maybe a tougher situation program wise, because there's high expectations for Arizona baseball.
2: I think that's, I think that's totally fair. And, you know, it's, 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 it's similar in the sense with, you know, we have all these new coaches. He has the highest expectations. We talked about it. And Tommy Lloyd has high expectations, but they're tempered by the IARP and kind of that uncertainty. But like you mentioned, I think just like, uh, some recruits, will see how Tommy Lloyd's team is going to play. And that'll help him what, you know, him make his sales pitch. I think if Chip Hale can go out there and show what he can do as a coach, it'll show up gradually in, in future recruiting classes.
1: Yeah. So hopefully the, the new cats, all the new cats who signed today on the 10th of November play really, really well. We want, obviously, we're, we're Arizona fans. We're Arizona podcast. We want all the programs to be really good, and it all starts with recruiting. So, of course, football signing day, the early signing day is in December, and that's going to be a big one for Arizona. They have quite a few good commitments. We'll see if they can keep them. It's Arizona football. It's until they sign, you always worry. And, of course, basketball, like we said, Tommy Lloyd, they're, they're not necessarily done filling out the class, but they're going to take their time because there's a lot of outside factors that would make it a good idea to just be a little bit picky with who they're adding. So, Brett, as always, we want people to follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ, And, of course, you find your podcast here on iTunes, Spotify. On iTunes, you have the opportunity to give us a rating and a review. If you leave a review, we will read it on the air because we like doing that. There's no new reviews this week, unfortunately. So we know you're listening. Get on that, everyone. Please. Like, this was a happy podcast. We had a lot of great information. Tell us that. Or you want to be a Debbie Downer, like, yeah, well, football, you know, is going to lose to Utah by 40. And you're probably right. But, you know, we got a week of feeling good. So uh, it's a different tone from us. Hopefully hopefully you all enjoyed that.
2: (laughs) I I think... I'm not sure I'm going to quite say well said, Adam, but it was said. It was
1: definitely said. So, yes, Arizona, like basketball season is continuing. Of course, our podcast cadence is going to change a little bit for when we record because we want to make sure we get all the basketball stuff in there for each individual show. Football season has a few games left. Uh, Utah is the next one at home. It's senior day. Arizona has a lot of players. I think I saw there would be about 30 players or so who are going to walk as part of senior day. But, of course, it's really wonky. Not all of them are guaranteed to not come back next season but it's a just in case thing and there's some seniors on this team who deserve it they deserve to be honored there's some players who obviously if they've been around four years five years they stuck through quite a bit of of rough football coaching changes and everything and they fought through and they keep playing hard so you know if you're at the game cheer for these guys because they deserve it especially the fact that they keep fighting for this season it is the last home game of the season and ideally we'll look back at the team like that was where it started that's where the turnaround started so that's this weekend again More basketball, men's and women's, those games are starting. It's basketball season, everyone. We're officially in it. And we'll talk about whatever's happening with Arizona Athletics next week. And until then, remember to bear down.
2: Bear down.